Welcome to the What to Do Next podcast, where we discuss strategies to find your purpose in life. This time, I had the pleasure of talking to Melissa Niederhauser, a fashion designer from Geneva. In this episode, we discuss the importance of feeling like you're in the right place and keeping a positive outlook to figure out what to do next. Hi, Malisa. How's it going? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks. Um, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to have you on this on this podcast. Um, I I thought your your story was quite uh, was quite interesting. I've I've I don't think I've had a, a single person so far uh, that was really into uh, sort of the the world of arts, which is uh, wow, which is pretty crazy to me. Like I I have no understanding <laughs> of this entire world whatsoever, and so I'm quite curious to learn more about it. Um, tell me, like um, when we spoke the other day you you were saying like um you always wanted to get into arts right and now if I understand correctly like yes. now you're into fashion design right specifically exactly exactly in fact it really was from the beginning um everything to do with uh, fashion and clothing mm-hmm. um it's true I've always been someone since childhood you know I've always been very sensitive to anything that was um, connected with the arts, visual arts I loved also ballet and um anything that was like extremely creative But at the same time, I was someone who lived in a in a home where I had a mother who did lots of snow, you know, sewing and who always considered that it was like a, a daily thing that you could do um, and it was part of your life. So for me, since I was very small, clothing just was like a very important part of, mm-hmm. uh, of my everyday life. And obviously, after the years, it became, you know, um, more of, you know, an interest in fashion design. Mm-hmm. But did your mom kind of get you started in it? Like, uh, did she teach you how to sew? And like, yes. uh, mm-hmm. well, the, the cute story is that um, I started snow, sewing, you know, when I was like five years old. Oh, And um, yeah, I was really small. My, my mother was like a, a bit crazy, I think, because, you know, now I, I myself have a four and a half year old and I don't think I'm going to let her go near my machines at the age of five. And uh, but the thing was that she found it so much fun. It was like a, a connection between us. And um, I also experimented. She let me do many, many things. And uh, I think there was like um, uh, the idea that I could do something with my hands And that it would please people because, you know, um, we would like do sometimes I would help her with the clothes she was making for us, me and my brothers. Sometimes we did like, you know, um, uh, little objects for, I don't know, for example, okay, it's Easter right now. Well, we used to do like little bags to put Easter chocolate um, inside and, uh, and people were really happy about it. So I was happy to make people happy through that. Was that one of the primary interests that you always had, like kind of uh, making people happy? Yeah, I think as a child, you know, you're always like trying to please, you know, everyone. And suddenly when you find like a method or some way of getting to people's hearts, you're like, yes, you know, this is fantastic. And this would feed you in a certain way. At least it did for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I say, okay, that was, you know, like it was like a childhood dream I had. I mean, today I, I you know, I say, you know, my work in fashion is in fact the product of a childhood dream. Mm-hmm. And um I'd say that very precisely um, things sort of like changed when I started going to school. And then I realized that people were saying, you know, but one day you have to go to work and get a job. And I was like, oh, but how could you, you know, how could you do something with that kind of, uh, you know, dream? 
And uh, what happened was, and there's a very cute story too about this, is when I was nine years old, I watched at my grandma's house a program on fashion and on Yves Saint Laurent. Mm -hmm. And that one moment, you know, they showed the catwalk. Mm -hmm. And I just stayed there in awe. And I said, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. I was like, mommy, you know, these dresses are so beautiful. And how can you, you know, how can they do that? And, and she explained to me, yes, because he's a designer and he has a company and he has an atelier. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can make a job out of that. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, it was like, and she was like, yeah, yeah, you can. And, uh, and then, you know, it all started, I think, from there. Mm -hmm. In fact, like uh, when we spoke the other day, um, one of the, like you said this one sentence that really stuck with me. I still have it, uh, have it in my, in my mind. It's um, mm -hmm. how is it possible to sell something so beautiful? Yes. That was my big questions. Cause I, you know, my, I had the idea that, this was just for fun, that mm -hmm. beautiful things were just things you would, you would look at, you would maybe keep in your house because it was like a, a, a painting or it was like a sculpture you could have at home, but it wouldn't be really something you could, you know, make a job out of it. Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, little by little, I realized through time and at school and then through my studies that in fact, yes, no, you could perfectly have a professional life where you would work with people who liked beautiful things and you could create beautiful objects mm -hmm. well that's actually the sentence kind of like i thought this sentence was was so interesting because for me it's almost like a, a dual meaning to it on the one hand there, there was clearly sort of this excitement that you had in terms of like you saw something beautiful yeah. and you wanted to see how you could sell it on the other hand i think that you can apply the sentence basically to anyone like that anyone should ask themselves um what is it that you think is beautiful and that you should sell, right? So the the beautiful Absolutely. in that sense, I would put away from like the, the beauty of the object, but the thing that gives you joy in life. And then ask yourself, how is it possible to sell this joyous thing, this beautiful thing? Well, it's true because today, you know, when people ask you um, when you want to create, for example, a small company or a company, you know, they tell you, you're not going to sell an object or a service. You're going to sell a dream or an idea. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that what I felt as a child by, you know, looking at these clothes that were made and watching these people, you know, walk on TV with these beautiful pieces of clothing, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it just made me happy. To, you know, I had a feeling that it was like, oh, this is a cool adventure. And I want to, you know, I want to feel that every day of my, of my life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, um, and that's, you know, it really did help me later on because when I, when I started, you know, imagining maybe I would work in, in, in the business and have my own little company, uh, people would ask me, yeah, but okay, fine. You're, you're, you're selling clothes, but what really are you selling behind that? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think it always comes back to that dream, you know, the dream of a happy child or a happy kid that's running around and just saying, oh, this is great. And, you know, I'm feeling I'm making people happy because it just looks nice. Mm -hmm. But did you always imagine going uh, towards um, fashion design? Because you just said that, like, when this kind of started to crystallize, that you would maybe take up employment in this sector. Um, so I'm guessing you had some kind of, um, some kind of, um, other path planned ahead, or was that something that you knew from a very early age? That's what I'm going to do. 
Um, I think there was something that had been, you know, um, a seed had been planted in my childhood. And uh, I, I really had the, the feeling or the wanting to go towards that towards fashion, towards design, towards something creative. Mm -hmm. At first, honestly, I had no idea how to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that little by little, uh, maybe through um, friends and teachers in school and, you know, um, talking to different people, uh, I started imagining the possibility that it could be, in fact, a, a professional career. I could make a professional career out of all of this. And everybody thinks that, you know, design and fashion is something very superficial. Mm -hmm. Many people have that, um, that, that idea. And uh, very few people can, can tell you no, but you can go to a specific school and learn how to make clothes. And it's a very serious business mm -hmm. because, you know, it moves around billions of, you know, of, of dollars or euros or whatever, you know, um, every single year. I mean, yeah, my, my journey was not that easy, but I have to say, I think from the very beginning, I really wanted to go towards that. Mm -hmm. And that's what really helped me start this out. I find, I find this quite interesting because it seems like you, you had a little bit of a negative affirmation, like other people would kind of like tell you like um, that this is not a feasible strategy. That's kind yes. of the, the feeling that I get when yet like beauty is so valuable. Like um, that's the reason why people spend millions of, of, of dollars like to acquire paintings, right? It's, it is clearly an incredibly valuable asset, even though, you know, we can't really use yeah, it. Exactly. So there's, there's some kind of, of a value that's associated uh, in beauty. And I guess that's the kind of value that you also felt as a child that kind of Indeed. brought you into this. Um, so then how did it change for you? At what point did you kind of transition into, okay, I'm going to make this work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into fashion design. Well, I think it started out being in school. Mm -hmm. And also coming from a family, um, like you said, you know, sometimes you know what you want, but sometimes you also know what you don't want. Mm -hmm. And when I was in school, I, I was always encouraged to, um, you know, have really good grades. My parents came from, uh, you know, they, they came from a milieu, if I may mm -hmm. use the word, where they were very academic, both PhDs and working, you know, uh, in sort of very intellectual um, areas. Mm -hmm. And they just couldn't imagine that, you know, this, this, there was a possibility of doing something creative, you know, in your professional life. But in school, for example, I had art teachers who really appreciated, you know, how I could, you know, connect with them. And there were not many of us who really wanted to stay the whole day in art class. And then uh, at the end, you know, I, I realized that um, I had to go and, uh, and find a way of studying fashion, which was uh, at the time, okay, because this was like, 25 years ago so maybe a longer time and I didn't know where to go at one moment you know uh, my parents said but okay we understand that you like this maybe you should get into uh, university and maybe you should study something more you know traditional and then suddenly when you have okay when you finish your studies you might want to do that as a hobby mm -hmm. and I said okay maybe that's a possibility Mm -hmm. So, because um, my, my, my parents were really not convinced by, by this choice of mine, mm -hmm. you know, they said, listen, you have great grades, because I was someone who was really, really good at school, in mm -hmm. all the scientific, you know, um, uh, subjects, in mathematics, and chemistry, in uh, physics, it was, 
you know, it was like, oh, but why don't you go and study, I don't know, biology or become a doctor or something, you know, it would be great. I was like, no, (laughs) this is not for me. So I decided that I would follow their path and I went to university and I got a bachelor's degree in something pretty traditional, which is political sciences. And the day I got my degree, I, I had also spent, you know, the years um, in, uh, in, uh, in university looking for different um, uh, possibilities in other universities elsewhere in Europe. If, you know, there were, for example, possibilities in fashion design. And I found one in mm-hmm. Lyon, which, was, uh, which exists today. C'est l'Université de la Mode. It's, it's part of uh, um, the University of Lyon 2. Mm-hmm. And um, they had, um, uh, you know, uh, they could take me in. And, uh, and I could do a diploma in, uh, in fashion studies. Mm-hmm. So did you then get out of university and, uh, and directly go into uh, and accept a job in fashion design? No, not at all. I finished my bachelor's degree and then I hopped over to Lyon to do that, um, uh, that diploma. Mm-hmm. And then I hopped over to Paris mm-hmm. to um, uh, a, a real fashion school, uh-huh. <laughs> if I may say, which is Edmod, International, sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, I spent uh, a whole year in a special intensive program for people who had already uh, um, followed different, um, you know, uh, studies before, mm-hmm. and who were a little bit older than those who just started straight out of school. Mm-hmm. And we did in a nine month period, uh, a, an entire program of three years all cramped up. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was extremely intensive. It was, you know, like they say, the best of times, the worst of times, because it was very little sleep and mm-hmm. lots of work. But I suddenly, you know, discovered people who thought the same way as me mm-hmm. and who um, imagined the world the same way as, you know, as me. So it was like, oh, I suddenly, you know, just find, found people who were like members of my tribe. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it just, it was great. And from then, I was like, okay, now I'm ready to really make a profession out of fashion design. So I'm quite curious, like, I, I, I want to kind of go on chronologically, but I'm also very curious what you just said about, um, like, it was very intense, but yes. you felt at home, like this, this, you found the people that you could connect uh, with the people of your tribe. How did you kind of experience this, like, nine months of super intense work? Was it something where you were stressed the entire time? Or despite all the work that you had, you felt uh, like this is the right thing to do. Like you wouldn't change a minute of it. Well, there were, there was like, um, I'd say there were two main elements. Uh, first of all, um, I, I discovered it was very difficult, you mm-hmm. know, um, to be in, uh, in the fashion business uh, because it's very time consuming, emotionally, very, very demanding. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, I was, in fact, um, uh, with a group of people who were ready to, to, you know, to put in the same energy as me. Mm-hmm. And we were all together in this. Mm-hmm. So um, it really did help out because I just can't say that suddenly I arrived and it was, you know, like um, uh, La La Land and it was great. And we were all, you know, um, going to live happily ever after. No, it was extremely difficult. And um, I think it was the first time in my entire life I had I, I, I was, you know, sort of obliged to ask myself a few important questions. Like, like you said, was I really, really, really in the right place? And, mm-hmm. I really, you know, did I really want to go, um, you know, this way? And the answer finally was yes. Mm-hmm. 
because mm-hmm. in spite of yeah um i mean i i must say i not sleeping for for you know well <laughs> at night mm-hmm. it's it's in the end you know it uh, physically you're like you know into pieces mm-hmm. but um and then you realize you have to you know learn to organize yourself mm-hmm. there's there things that you have to say no to there's mm-hmm. some things that you have to prioritize mm-hmm. and in a certain sense i just like learned to be an adult <laughs> then mm-hmm. And um, uh, that, yes, it really was a first step into, um, you know, uh, my professional life. Mm-hmm. And that was great. But uh, then when you got out, like you were saying, like you were an adult, were at, was it at that point clear to you that like you're going to go uh, and become an entrepreneur uh, in that field of fashion design? No, at first, um, I think we all wanted to, like, you know, most um, students coming out of fashion uh, design, uh, you know, school, we, we all had the dream that, oh, we're going to end up, you know, working for a big fashion house or a big fashion company. And it's going to be great because, you know, they're the best and uh, we're going to end up, you know, um, dressing up as, uh, you know, as uh, mini Lagerfeld clones and that's going to be great. But in fact, it's it's extremely difficult, and I found that out when uh, we did um uh, you know we, we did um internships mm-hmm. uh, during that year. They asked us to to go and find an internship in in uh, in any place you know in Paris, and maybe you know we also had the possibility of you know looking elsewhere, and uh, that experience was very difficult as well because uh, we were just you know students, and those ha- those uh, fashion companies need cheap labor. Mm-hmm. good cheap labor and um they you know at first uh with all the you know the great illusion i had of you know discovering this world i just ended up you know working very long hours and um, doing sometimes very very i mean not very interesting work mm-hmm. and not paid at all mm-hmm. <laughs> let's be clear so then i realized how you know certain um uh, companies were structured And uh, what path you were going to have to take to mm-hmm. become, for example, a junior designer or, a, uh, you know, a pattern maker for them. And uh, I realized it was not that easy. Mm-hmm. And also that um, there's a, well, it's a very stressful, you know, life. Um, uh, there are cycles um, in, in production, which are very particular. Um, most fashion companies, as you may know, or, you know, companies that produce clothes are, They follow the seasons. So mm-hmm. every six months you have to renew the collection. So it's, uh, it's a big wave that comes and then goes back down. And then once again, six months after it goes back up again. So, you know, going through that stress of putting out a collection, it was a little bit too much for me. Mm-hmm. So I decided that fine, I had had my Parisian experience and um, I simply didn't want to, you know, suffer from that. Mm-hmm. So I came back home to Geneva mm-hmm. and then another, you know, another part of my life started. But that sounds, so that's quite, quite interesting. because, like when, if I can kind of summarize everything you told me so far, like from a very early age, you had the seed of art that was planted into you, right? Yeah. Uh, whether that's kind of like, you know, genetic or uh, um, a or a consequence of your surrounding, right? With your mother, for example, introducing you into sewing. Um, like you had the seed planted and then you felt the capacity to connect with your arts teacher. So with like-minded people while, while yeah. you were in school. So I guess that kind of prospered the, the seed and let it, grow into something and this 
early stage plant, you cultivate it through formative years, like going to Lyon, going to Paris, Absolutely. being surrounded there, and then it grows into an actual, like into an actually developed plant. But um, you kind of saw during these formative years also what you did not want right you did not want the yeah. this insane stress you didn't want a predefined kind of um pathway you you wanted to keep growing this plant but not in a kind of predefined way um Mm-hmm. Exactly. That- exactly. Because when I was a child, you know, people already thought that my desire to get into fashion design was sort of, it was weird for them. You know, in school, my friends didn't really understand it. So I was already accustomed to not being always the one who followed, you know, the same path as everyone else. Mm-hmm. So when I went to, you know, to study uh, in Paris, I also realized that I could also be different from those who were also, you know, doing fashion design and fashion pattern making at that time. And it was not a problem, you know, mm-hmm. to refuse a certain traditional path in. Yeah, for me, it was it was never a problem. Mm-hmm. I was not scared of that. But I was also very aware that um, I still had to have a plan. Mm-hmm. I still had to structure things. But why did you go back to Geneva? Was there a particular reason for this? I think it was a mix of everything. I'm very close to my family mm-hmm. and I I really love the life in Geneva. It's a very particular, you know, town. Um, I've had the privilege to travel very, you know, extensively uh, throughout my, my childhood and younger years. So um, I realized that um, there was like, how can I say, yeah, there's never a better place than home. Mm-hmm. And um, if I was gonna, you know, start working somewhere I knew it was going to be very hard so I at first I said okay I prefer having you know my 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 close circle next to me if I want to you know sort of get into this crazy crazy project Mm -hmm. and um, at the same time um, I think I also sort of um, I realized that living in Paris was was very difficult because you had to have a certain amount of financial, you know, you had to have good, good um, financial means to, you know, live comfortably there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, oh, very practically, small apartments in Paris are horrendous. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, you know, there's very little nature. I'm someone who just, I mean, when you live here in Geneva, you can just open the door and maybe after a 10 minute um, uh, bus ride, you're, you're in the countryside. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Today, I live in the, you know, in the countryside, in mm-hmm. the outskirts of Geneva. So, um, yes, it was one element that was really important for me. And So, uh, it sounds a bit like you put constraints on your life. So, you were kind of, um, you had this very sort of, um, it started with a very sort of high level abstract idea, which was art, mm-hmm. became more um, precise into fashion design. Um, then afterwards you kind of constrained not just um, what it is that you do but also how do you want to live you want to be close to your family you want to um, not have um, an absurd amount of stress of a predefined path in the fashion industry you wanted to be close to nature so you kind of were basically thinking of like okay this is the amount of time uh, I have on this planet and this is how I want to spend it 
Yes, because um, I had already experienced through, you know, family members what it was, for example, to have a breakdown, a nervous breakdown and, mm-hmm. and go through um, difficult health issues. And um, I realized at a very young age that, you know, you could do certain things to to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And having a healthy lifestyle is one of them. And um, some people, of course, did not understand my friends in Paris. They were like sad I left and um, they left Paris a bit later on, a few a couple of years later, because they realized, you know, that I was. Yeah, it, it was true. Um, it, it's very difficult to, um, you know, to work in Paris and have a how can I say um, a calm and serene life there mm-hmm. uh, without, you know, a lot of money. So and go and. Honestly, I also said, you know, to myself, um, I want to live, you know, um, I want to um, get money out of my, my job. And I know that uh, in Switzerland, you get better salaries. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I was like uh, telling myself, maybe I could find a job in, you know, in Switzerland or in Geneva. And that would be, you know, a great situation. That would be great. And but that uh, job, I'm sorry for interrupting, like that yeah. job. Um, were you at that point already thinking like, okay, that job is going to be in fashion design or that's going to be something completely different? Okay. No, Mm -hmm. yes. No, I had really decided that that was my path. I really wanted to make clothes. I really want, I really wanted to be with people who were, Mm -hmm. you know, um, making clothes and who uh, just were in that, um, you know, universe. Uh, I did not want to have a desk job in a bank. I did Mm -hmm. not want to, um, uh, you know, sell anything in a, in, you know, I don't know, be working in a supermarket, whatever. It was really, uh, it had to be fashion. And uh, at first I really didn't, I I didn't realize it was going to, you know, it was not going to be that easy because um, coming back from Paris, um, I started searching for a job and I didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I realized that uh, most of the clothing industry in Switzerland is in the German speaking part of of Switzerland. I sadly do not master the German language as well as I do English, French and Spanish, Mm -hmm. even Italian. So then I started asking myself, well, what are the possibilities that are, you know, that are offered to me? And one of them was, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, just mm-hmm. making my own job for me. But um, I mean, becoming an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm guessing was kind of a, also a scary decision, no? Because then you're completely yes. reliant on yourself. How yes. did you kind of like, how, how did that decision take place? Like, okay, well, um, clearly you had these constraints of like, okay, I don't, I don't want to go into, again, a strange environment that like I'm not familiar with where maybe I don't speak the language so well. I want to be close to home. Like, um, so there are these constraints. Was it that these constraints are more important to me than uh, the anxiety that kind of becoming an entrepreneur causes me or was it a different thought process? I think I have to be very honest about that, but I think I didn't even have time to ask myself that question because okay. circumstances arised. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened was that I, I came back from, from Paris and in the 12 months that followed, too many things happened that Finally, I ended up in the situation where I just became an entrepreneur. First of all, was um, the the very very privileged um, uh, possibility that I had to register to the unemployment agency here in Geneva, mm-hmm. because um, uh, you might not know, but people who finish their studies and who've um, uh, you know studied in university and and have obtained uh, a diploma can go and register and they get an amount, uh, a basic amount of money so they can live off, you know, uh, every month mm-hmm. of that, of that uh, money. Uh, 
But at the same time, when I registered, they told me, well, do you have an idea what you want to do? I exposed my, my desire to work in fashion. They looked at me and they told me this is going to be very complicated, but doesn't matter. We're going to coach you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to um, uh, and we're going to um, send you to these different, you know, coaching sessions where you can learn um, how to, um, uh, you know, build a small uh, business uh, here in uh, in Geneva. And, uh, so it ended up being very instructive because I I met people um, who um, were able to show me quite a few, um, you know, different elements of the the business um, ambiance in Geneva, mm-hmm. and who showed me you know, the different possibilities that, um, that were there. And honestly, when you do have a small amount of money that can help you out so you can pay your rent and you can eat, you know, from it, things change and you're much more relaxed. Mm-hmm. I knew it would be going on because, you know, you can, um, you can have that for two years. And mm-hmm. I knew that I had two years in front of me that I, you know, I had responsibilities towards the unemployment agency. But at the same time, I had enough time to um, get my project going. That was so, the first thing to help me out. <laughs> so that was kind of like, um, at that point, you were already kind of thinking to go into and, and become an entrepreneur. And what you kind of were missing was a runway that you yes. could utilize. And the unemployment was giving you that runway. It was uh, like, I have enough to survive. And now it's just, I have two years, let's make it work. Did you have exactly. a backup plan where it was like, okay, if it doesn't work in two years, that's what I'm going to do? Yes, because um, there I had my parents that were, you know, always, you know, um, asking me what's going on, what's going on. And um, mm-hmm. they were always telling me, but don't worry, you can always go you know, back to university and, and choose a master degree, you know, that could help mm-hmm. you do something different and use also that your capabilities. And even though that was the last thing I wanted to do, I was like, okay, fine, you know, I'll take that parachute and, uh, you know, I'll use it, you know, if I need it. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, I didn't, I didn't use it. So um, yes, there was always that backup plan. How long did it take you in the end to, to become independent? Well, it happened in about 18 months because um, at the same time, you know, in those, in those 12 months um, after coming back, um, I met the person who's now my husband and uh, we moved in together very quickly. And he, he thought my project was fantastic mm-hmm. because he's somebody who's, um, he's a civil engineer and he's a very, how can I say, he's a very square person. He, he's, uh, he's from Geneva. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't have the same uh, um, uh, origins as me because my parents are South American. I'm a big, you know, a bit of a wild mix. Mm-hmm. So he thought it was fantastic. And when we moved in, we chose a place where I had enough space to, you know, open a small atelier. So everything just got together. And, uh, and a couple of months later, I was able to start my business. And little by little, I just, um, you know, I, I told the unemployment agency that uh, I was working, you know, at a small percentage. And uh, at the same time, I also, for fun, went and, uh, and took some uh, professional makeup art classes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to a small school, which is not too far away from where I live right now. Mm-hmm. And um, the person who, you know, um, who took me in said, well, okay, uh, why are you doing this? And said, I just want to learn how to put makeup on my face properly. Mm-hmm. And then she told me, but listen, you're doing this really well. I think you should also work in, you know, in, in makeup artistry. Mm-hmm. And uh, she gave me the reference, of, you know, that of someone uh, who's looking for a makeup artist. And then I took up that part-time job that was offered to me. And then I said, okay, fine, I'm ready. I have a part-time job in makeup, uh, which is going to help me out, 
you know, mm-hmm. with uh, the daily bills. And at the same time, I now have an atelier where I could, uh, you know, make clothes. Uh, if I have clients, that's fantastic. If I don't, okay, that's too bad, but it's not so, you know, so bad. Mm-hmm. And there were just all went. But uh, so this this part time job was basically the the last kind of security that you needed in order to get rid of the security of the of the unemployment. Yes, yes, you're, you're, that's exactly right. It's it's it, that's the word. I'm someone who's always putting together a plan where I always have like a fluffy mattress where I can mm-hmm. you know just like fall on in case something bad happens. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've always done all my life. Mm-hmm. it's it's um i've always imagined like the worst could happen because that is always a possibility let's do something so that you know um i you know you, you, yeah just build your security mattress mm-hmm. it's so important did you do that part-time job for a long time yeah i think it went on for about six years mm-hmm. which is a long time you know mm-hmm. in in when i was you know when i was in my 20s i, I six years for me was like an attorney and uh but it was great it was great because i really did learn a lot it just like when i went to university you know to study political sciences and i was so convinced it was going to be tremendously boring in fact you know no it's not true because when you you know when you study political sciences it you have um a choice of different um uh, subjects that could be from you know sociology you can learn history you can um at least where i went you know in the university of lausanne Mm -hmm. um you could really choose uh, many many subjects for that um, bachelor degree i even took uh uh, subjects like um gestion des ressources humaines you know Mm -hmm. uh, human resources management which really does help today Mm -hmm. and um so the same in this job i i with makeup I worked for really, really beautiful companies, and um, which is one one of the nice things is that I am did a, a working for Yves Saint Laurent Beauté. I was always running around uh, um, Switzerland for special events when they were, um, uh, you know, promoting the new collections. So in a certain sense, I had that connection with um, you know that fashion world. I guess that that helped you to kind of refine uh, your understanding. Did it help you to refine also your your ideas in kind of what kind of fashion you wanted to to create? Yes, there were well, there were different um, elements there because um, I realized that uh, being in Geneva, if I wanted to make clothes, um, I uh, you know I had to either create a brand, mm-hmm. and that was something I was not too sure of myself yet you know I didn't really think I could do that yet uh, so I I was making clothes you know um, made to measure clothes for people mm-hmm. who had uh, for example people who had specific sizes I had clients who were extremely tall who can find you know um, uh, uh, jeans who were you know um, the right size or people who were for example um, going to weddings and they wanted to have a very special dress Mm-hmm. And then little by little, I did get into the wedding business mm-hmm. and I started, you know, I, I first, I did first a wedding dress for one of my close friends. People, you know, just said, oh my gosh, this dress is so beautiful. I would like to have one too. Then somebody else came and then little by little people started talking about it. And I ended up, um, uh, you know, concentrating um, on the wedding business. And uh, this went on pretty much uh, for a couple of years. And then I had my children. I did a little pause to take care of them at home. And then I wanted to go back to that. But two years later, COVID appeared (laughs) and it all changed. It changed um, the the perspective of of my whole business. How did it change it? 
Yes, it did because um, the first thing that happened was that um, people just stopped getting married. Um, mm -hmm. You could not um, uh, organize, you know, you couldn't organize big weddings anymore. The pandemic just absolutely transformed everything in the wedding business. So I decided that it was, you know, it was the moment that maybe, you know, I had to just ask myself, okay, um, what am I going to do now? The question was not, am I going to get out of fashion? That certainly was not the question. Mm -hmm. But how am I going to, um, you know, work in fashion differently? And it all came pretty much, you know, naturally, because when the first uh, lockdown, you know, arrived in March of uh, last year, I had to take care of my kids at home because I had to school them at home. And at the same time, my neighbors started asking me, hey, listen, listen, I know you do sewing. I know you have machines. Um, listen, I have this problem. Um, I ordered these clothes on the internet, but they're not exactly my size and I just can't be bothered to send them back. Mm -hmm. So it all started out, you know, um, I started um, get, yeah, uh, telling my, my friends and my neighbors, listen, I'm, yeah, I can sew your clothes if you need to, I don't know if your jeans are just too long. Uh, or, um, yeah, you bought your, your clothes on the internet and they're not the right size. Let me just, you know, transform them for you. And suddenly people were talking about it in, mm -hmm. you know, the small village where I live. And then um, what also happened was that um, I had um, registered to be a member of uh, an entrepreneur association called Genuine Women. And uh, at the time, we were sending lots of messages uh, to each other on our, our private Facebook. And then somebody um, just put a message saying, uh, I am looking for someone who uh, is into sewing because I want to make a small collection of uh, sweatshirts. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know, you know, where I could find that person? And I answered mm -hmm. and I said, yes, I'm here Geneva, blah, 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 and explained what I did. And then this person became my very first professional post-COVID um, client. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I realized that people here in, in, uh, in the area did not have access to professional pattern making. Something that had, you know, I had always, you know, um, done to mm -hmm. make the wedding dresses for my private clients, but I had never thought about this as a job, you know, in itself. And suddenly, it it became the job. I in in a couple of months, in six months, I I I got two uh, more professional clients, and was able to book my entire year with um, people who needed uh, professional pattern making services mm -hmm. and at the same time it also you know um, gave me enough time to take care of my kids so you were quite flexible in your approach yes. you were kind of like uh, scouting out opportunities and then when you saw opportunities arise you would you would jump on it so in a in a sense you the craft of fashion design is the thing that you want to do and it's not a particular thing you know, I don't, it's not like I need to design exactly. whatever wedding dresses. I need yes. to design this. It is the craft that um, kind of mediates what you want to do. This is what I'm, what I'm good at. This is what I like doing. Exactly. Um, I will do this, but the exact way that I will, I will do it. That depends on my constraints and my constraints are, um, I want to live in Geneva. I want, um, yeah, I want to live in Geneva. I want to be independent if possible. Um, like there are certain constraints that I apply on my life. This kind of ensures that I, I do it. And then 
you combine this with the opportunities you have. So given that people in COVID exactly. times would um, want to have their clothes changed, for example, you just took it and it's like, okay, I can make a business out of this. Yes. And also what happened at that moment is, um, and what I think um, COVID has also, this pandemic sort of made us realize is that people are thinking differently. It's the element, for example, of sustainability has has been an element that the, the fashion industry has tackled with a certain you know, with certain difficulties. Mm -hmm. And today it's becoming something which is so important. And uh, the, 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 the new companies that are coming, the new designers, the young designers that are, that are um, appearing today um, uh, in, the, in the business are automatically considering the element of sustainability as a major part, you know, as a major part of their activity. Mm -hmm. And I think I was also very lucky because, um, you know, when all this happened, I said to myself, this is so logical. You know, there is a local business that can arise from, from, from this situation, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I was very sad that suddenly I could just not make, make wedding dresses anymore because nobody was asking me for wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, I realized that, um, you know, everyone was going to the farms around, you know, my house to buy their, um, their grocery store, mm -hmm. you know, gro groceries and the grocery stores were like, they were hogged with people. So, you know, everybody's like, I'm not going to go there. Um, I, I'd rather go and buy my milk from the farmer across the, the village. And I said, yes, everybody now wants to live in their home, live in their village. Let's go and see what's going on. And suddenly I was like, yes, me too. I'm also offering something special and uh, which is, you know, just I can sew. So mm -hmm. um, come and see me. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, you know, I think it's really, it's really great because um, I know today I was also um, thinking about this uh, the other week. Uh, not only can I uh, offer my services to the people who live in my village or in, you know, um, in the in Geneva, I can also, for example, um, make with, you know, my computer. I can make patterns and I can send them to my clients anywhere mm -hmm. in the world. And that's, you know, it's something that today it's so natural to ask for very particular and specific services, you know, through, through uh, an email, just you, you send an email, you talk to the person on the phone or you see yourself on Zoom or, you know, um, it's become something so basic. Mm -hmm. And that's something that nobody would have, you know, uh, considered before. No, absolutely. I was just, I was literally just talking uh, with my, my sister about this uh, just the other day that like this element of home office and this element of, of uh, living where you want to live has Absolutely. become such a huge factor in, in, in sort of this, I think it's too early to say post COVID time in this uh, during COVID time. And <laughs> this might, this might propagate further, like uh, if, and when we uh, finally manage to, uh, to move past this pandemic um then I think that this might be the the way of the future. Like we're 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 gonna do the majority of our work in in home office, and yes. we're gonna spend our time where you want to spend it. And this is kind of uh, fascinating because that's kind of the the thought process that you had when you when when you wanted to get into this industry was like I want to work uh, from my hometown. I want to be home exactly. And uh, now people 
can do this. Like it is, it is something that where for you, it was an actual constraint. Like it would um, maybe if you could have worked from home, but also have, could have worked for a um, let's call it like a traditional fashion design company, yeah. a brand. Do you think you would have gone this way, or you would have gone into entrepreneurship anyways? That's a that's a mystery question. That's a million dollar mm -hmm. question. I have no answer for that right now because I just realized that I, in many you know many times in my life I just went with the flow. But at the same time, I knew there were certain things I would I would not go against. And obviously, it's like you know um, my health is really important. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it might be a, a silly, uh, you know, thing to, uh, to consider at a very early age when you're in your twenties. But then again, I also had the experience that certain members of my family had gone through some very serious, you know, health situations. So that was like, uh, yeah, I, I had seen that, uh, and mm -hmm. certain people, you know, had not seen that. And then again, um, I, I realized that, um, with sometimes, you know, certain people consider certain elements as, you know, limitations. It really all depends on how you see that. Because for me, going back to Geneva was absolutely not, um, I didn't consider it to be a limitation. Um, I really considered it like a, the fantastic going back home situation mm -hmm. because I had so much to gain from that. Mm -hmm. I never saw it as something uh, as, you know, as if I was going to lose anything. I was simply not going to have a job in Paris, but I was, I knew there were uh, going to be some really great things back in Geneva. And maybe that also answers the, the fact that I have a very like bubbly, bit crazy personality. And I'm always seeing like, oh my gosh, you know, out of the, you know, the bad blue things are like really, really, you know, incredible opportunities can, can come out. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people get exasperated with that, but then again, it has helped me. So, well, I guess so. There's two things to to touch upon there for me, which is number one, being kind of you 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 say you have this kind of bubbly, like um, seeing opportunity in the darkness kind of attitude. But do you think this might be sort of a, a reflection on what you were saying earlier, which is that even from an early age you took particular care of your health, uh, in particular, this, your mental health, right? Yes, um, exactly. Do you think like this, you're not even seeing the shadows because from an, a, a very early age, you did the, let's call them the right things for your, for your mental health. Like you're doing the things that you need in order to be in a positive, uh, like headspace. Yes. And at the same time, it does take a great effort And you can't do that all by yourself. I'm someone, for example, who I go to this to the psychotherapist just like I go to the dentist. Mm -hmm. It's something that I consider to be part of uh, a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, I I'm someone who, for example, I'm someone like many maybe South Americans. We we don't buy industrial based food. Everything mm -hmm. is made from scratch. You know. The good mm -hmm. ma, you know, uh, food made by mama is is really important. Little details mm -hmm. like that, and if you put them all together, they sort of help you out, and they give you sort of a, a way to be, uh, mm -hmm. a system which is um, which I find really a very good system. At least mm -hmm. it works for me, and um, I know that, um, for example, little little simple things like like um, okay, when you want to have lunch or when you want to have dinner, the entire family has to sit down at the table. I'm not someone who takes my food and sits down in front of the TV. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. So small things like that. And, uh, you know, the other thing is I'm, I'm really lucky. I live, like I told you, in the countryside. 
I don't need to go to the supermarket to buy my vegetables and my fruits. We have, um, you know, farmers who have their small shops all over the place. And, and that's fantastic. But that's a, that's a privilege. And I'm aware of that. I, I like this attitude actually a lot, sort of this very holistic attitude, because I, yes. I, I, had, the, I had the conversation with, um, with one of my guests um, on this podcast uh, just a few weeks ago, um, Eva Maria Zoll. She was, she was asking me, like, what actually do you mean with the question, what to do next? Um, mm. Is that career-wise? Is that family-wise? Like, what are you trying to do here? And I realized that this is quite difficult to answer because, yeah, it's kind of made in terms of career, but I think that the career is only one element of, uh, of your life. I think that you need to take a more holistic approach and uh, think about how do you want to spend your life? What is your life supposed to be comprised about? And then you can start compartmentalizing like, well, there's a compartment of family, there's a compartment of, uh, of friends, there's a compartment of health and so on. Like, what are, do you want to fill these compartments with like how should they be organized how do you distribute your time what are what are they made of um and so i think this is a more um sustainable way of approaching your life and i guess that kind of also reflects in what you were saying earlier is like you don't see um going back to geneva as a limitation but as an as an opportunity um i would say that um it is a limitation but it is a necessary limitation because you are limiting the amount of possibilities for your career, which are almost exactly. infinite. I mean, there are so many things you could have done, right? Yeah. You're limiting this for the sake of something else that is important for you. And then you make it work in whatever opportunities there are. Exactly. Because it's important for you clearly, right? The doing fashion design, you've done it uh, basically your entire life um like this is something you want to do but it's not everything exactly it's just like um you know it's like building a house mm -hmm. you have the foundation the foundation will always be there and it mm -hmm. has to be really well made mm -hmm. and i've always had that idea that they you know it was going to be like very sturdy and whatever you know bricks you put on the top it could go anywhere mm -hmm. so as long as that was respected it just it was all right Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, it's true. And I think even more today, when all these events have gone, you know, by and, you know, these past, um, this past year has been so difficult for absolutely everyone. I think that we've had the opportunity to go back to, you know, to, to introspection mm -hmm. and to, you know, to ask, we were, I think I was able to ask myself what I really, really wanted. And I think everyone has had the opportunity to ask themselves, you know, what exactly do they want now in life? And, you know, perspectives have changed. And this notion of, you know, living your life holistically really does make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Because, um, yes, there are so many elements to be considered. But, you know, in the end, there's like respect for yourself. Once, you know, that is, that is good, the rest will flow. In mm -hmm. the, you know, in in any in any in work with your private life, with your social life, with your professional career, voila, 
everything mm -hmm. will just, you know, um, the bricks will all get together. I mean, that's what sometimes I think about when, you know, when I play with Legos with my kids <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're like putting all the colors together. And I'm someone who's like, oh, but you, you should use the same color for that wall. They're like, no, mommy, we can use this and that and this and that. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, whatever you choose, if it has, you know, if it works, just go for it. Mm -hmm. But I guess the question then is like, what works, right? What is the thing that 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 works? And Ooh. that's the <laughs> that I find like the really complicated question in the sense of um, since there are so many opportunities, I mean, almost clearly not infinite, but like uh, such a vast solution space. How do you actually define the things that you want uh, to do? And the the only way I can see this work right now. I, maybe hopefully I will change my mind is through <laughs> these limitations by looking at what do you know, what, first of all, are the pillars that yes. build up your house, right? And then once you have these pillars, then start filling them with like everything you already know, everything you already know to be true. Exactly. In your case, for example, it sounds very straightforward and I'm very glad it was straightforward, but I do imagine that there's quite a lot of people where it's less straightforward. Like yeah. for example, in your case, like arts, fashion design, that was clear from an early age. Going back to Geneva sounds like it was uh, relatively clear for you. But I guess this can be much, much easier. Like um, if, if someone doesn't know at all what they want to do, just try to figure out the the things that you do know like maybe you want you know that every morning you want to have a cup of coffee like then that's a constraint like exactly. that's gonna limit the amount of opportunities you can't if you want to have a coffee every morning at 8 a.m then you can't work night shifts where you go to bed at 6 a.m because then you're not going to be able to have this and that's going to limit the amount of opportunities that you actually can take As long as you consider that these limitations, as you call them, um, it, as long as you consider them through positive perspective, mm -hmm. they will always be they they will always be good, mm -hmm. because um, obviously when time goes by and you grow older, you are capable of saying, okay, the decisions I I took were not that bad, mm -hmm. even though sometimes you 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 know you take decisions under stress and you're not sure about them. But like like you say. Um, Possibility, possibilities are infinite, but at, cer at a certain moment, you, you start to sort of know yourself a bit more mm -hmm. and know who you are. And then if you start asking yourself or asking like, you know, the child inside of you, what exactly do you really want to do and what really makes your day, mm -hmm. then that'll help, you know, a little bit, even though you're someone who is a bit lost in space. Mm -hmm. But there's always like a small little um, how can I say a small piece of string you could sort of like catch and mm -hmm. hold on to and then start, you know, um, like uh, unraveling and it's following that path. Mm -hmm. and, but I'm very, very adamant. I think it's always important to have the idea that whatever situation you might just um, uh, experiment, it's, there's always a small element of positivity in it. Something good is always going to come out. I know it's a bit sort of like, you know, Uh, cliche to say that but honestly it's true there's never one way of considering a situation or um, uh, yes um, uh, an experience 
there's at one moment you might feel just so bad and think this is the worst situation. Like you don't have a job, you, you, you might not have a, a good place to live. And, but at one moment, something is going to go click and people you've met are, are going to, you know, help you out or something you've seen somewhere is going to help you out. And then suddenly, you're gonna, you know, you know, you're going to put your positive um, uh, eyeglasses on mm-hmm. and you're going to say, oh yes, but that might work out. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very like, it's not very precise what I'm saying, but, but yes, please put on your positive eyeglasses on. There's, there's, there are always, always possibilities. I really like that. I mean, this kind of goes towards the, the idea of like, we as, as, as people are, are so small, so insignificant compared to the universe that we can't see the whole picture. And so the only thing you can kind of choose is you can, you, since you can't see the whole picture, you get to choose if you will take whatever is happening as positive or as negative, because you anyways, you don't know if that's good or bad. Exactly. That's in your hands. The way mm-hmm. you see things and the way you live things, that is something that would always be in your control. Mm-hmm. And what, what goes around you and what happens around you is something that you will never be able to manage 100%. So as long as you're sure about yourself in the sense that, um, yes, it might work or it might not work, but just go for it. You can control that. So that's going to take you the right, you know, in the right way. It, that's going to help you out. The, the really having, I mean, it's, it's difficult when you're in your 20s. Of course, you don't have 100% trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're in your 40s, you start saying like, okay, maybe I know a thing or two. But in the end is to say, okay, fine. I can manage that the way I feel about things and the way I see things. So, you know, just have a little bit of um, instinct and just go and after it. (laughs) Well, that's, that's such a nice little uh, message to, to end this uh, conversation with. I, I, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the podcast. It was super interesting. (laughs) And I feel, I feel so good now after talking to you, you have such a positive (laughs) attitude. I I, I can't stop smiling. (laughs) I hope everybody else is also feeling the same way. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful. Thank you.